0: Welcome to the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker, and I'll be your host. Now I live a pretty ordinary life, but I really enjoy studying and teaching the Bible. If you're interested in what the Bible really means and how it can be applied to your everyday, perhaps ordinary life, then this podcast is for you. You see, I believe the Bible is more than just a collection of interesting stories. It's God's communication to humankind. It's a revelation about who he is, and how we fit into the story he is telling, even if we feel like our personal story is a little bit ordinary. The Bible includes 66 individual books, but with a unifying theme, God desires a relationship with us. So let's open the pages of God's Word together and discover what extraordinary truths he has for our lives. Welcome to the beginning of the end. Well, it's the beginning of Ephesians chapter six, which is the end of this New Testament letter. But don't worry, it's not the end of my podcasting. We've done 16 previous episodes on this letter to the Ephesians, and in each of those teachings, we have considered the context of the original author and the original audience. The church in Ephesus and the surrounding churches that this letter was first sent to were people who were living in the Greco-Roman Empire, and that culture was very different from ours. Now, whether you're listening from America or Europe or Australia or Russia or wherever you are, the cultural lens you have developed is not the same as that of the original recipients. And that point matters in today's verses. In our last episode, we discussed the relationship of husbands and wives. In American culture, there is a significant movement to ensure equality between men and women. It's been going on for decades. And so when we read a letter written 2000 years ago, that tells wives to submit to their husbands, many people find this word, this idea of submission distasteful. There has been so much abuse of power and so much historical marginalizing of women that from a cultural perspective like ours, it can be hard to grapple with the ideas we think of and associate with submission. But if you really look at the word submit, and consider the verses before the task set before the wives and the verses after, which is the commission to the husbands, you may realize that in context, submission is not as negative as we might view it. Now, in chapter six, Paul is going to turn the discussion to children and fathers and slaves and masters. It's going to be very tempting to, again, apply our cultural lens to these verses. So for a moment, Try to put yourself in the Greco-Roman world. Now, if you haven't studied world history in a while, let me remind you of some common aspects of this culture. We've talked a lot about this in other episodes, but remember, their culture worshipped various Greek gods. Ephesus was the home to a huge temple dedicated to the worship of the goddess Artemis. The family unit was very much ruled by the father. He had full rights to do whatever he pleased his children and his wife. In fact, When a baby was born to the family and the father didn't want it, he had the right to leave it outside exposed with intentions that it would either die or be taken in by someone passing by. Now this didn't happen often, but when it did, it was culturally acceptable. Fathers could beat their children or neglect them. And there was no social system to intervene with a home study or removal of children or foster care. And middle class and above could also own slaves. But slavery in this culture was very, very different than the slavery of American history. You see, the majority culture didn't go to another country and capture people of another race and force them into servitude. In fact, a person could willingly sell themselves into slavery in order to escape poverty or worse circumstances. And slaves could even earn their freedom. Now, in any situation where one person has power over another, There are always chances for abuse, and so there's no doubt there were cases of slaves in abusive environments and that they were treated terribly. But the whole culture of slavery was not like the culture of slavery from America's past. So again, let's try to read this through the lens of the Greco-Roman cultural experience. Paul is going to give some instructions to children and fathers and slaves and masters. From our standpoint, it might seem odd that he's giving slaves instructions. And in a sense, it kind of seems like he's agreeing that slavery is acceptable. And you, like me, probably find the idea of slavery terrible and repulsive. We value human life and our cultures do not tolerate slavery. But that is our cultural lens. To the audience he was writing to, slavery was perfectly normal and acceptable. So let's not forget the original audience, the original author, and the original intention. There's much we can learn and apply from these verses. Now with that, let's take a look at the first few verses of chapter 6. This is from the Net 2 version. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment accompanied by a promise, namely, that it will go well with you and that you will live a long time on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, Paul addresses the children first, and then the fathers. And this isn't Paul being sexist and ignoring the role of the mother. It's just that in this culture, what the father said went in terms of treatment of children. He bore the responsibility, so he got the instruction from Paul. But Paul tells the children of this church and the other churches who will read this letter to obey their parents. And he says, obey your parents in the Lord. If you'll remember from our previous teachings, Paul is using the phrase, Therefore, walk in thus in such a way. And his most recent encouragement to them has been to walk in wisdom. Prior to that was walk in a way that imitates God. And much of the practical instruction in the second half of this letter is rooted in imitating God, being wise and being different from their culture. So obeying their parents in the Lord is saying, be obedient as part of your walking out your lives according to these instructions. I'm always a bit curious about my listeners on the other side of this podcast. One of the very few downsides of doing a podcast rather than a live teaching is the lack of two way conversation. So I wonder how many of you grew up in church? I did. And I spent many, many childhood hours in children's church and Sunday school and a midweek program called Iwana. But I also had plenty of time sitting in, quote, big church. I remember filling up a little bag so I'd have something to do during the sermon. And for a while, the church even provided a children's bulletin with age appropriate puzzles and activities all based on scripture. But there came a time where my mom said, in response to my complaints of big church being boring, that if I listened, I could understand and get something out of the message. She challenged me to pay attention and assured me the sermon wasn't too hard for me to understand. And you know what? She was right. I still remember our pastor teaching through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah on Sunday nights when I was about 10 years old. And so I think of these first churches and their families huddled together in someone's home or outdoor courtyard, listening to a letter being read aloud from their pastor, Paul, who was in prison. Husbands, wives, children, teenagers, singles, widows, and widowers all together, all learning and growing in their newfound faith. And guess what? There was something for everyone. So I imagine these little kids growing up in Ephesus and being told, no, we're not going to Artemis's temple with your friends. We're going to our house church. Brother Paul has sent a letter and the kids listening and fidgeting and possibly being shushed several times during the letter reading. And all of a sudden they are being addressed. Children, obey your parents and honor them. I wonder if they stopped fidgeting for a moment and really honed in on Paul's words. I wonder if their parents nudged them and said, See, you can learn something in big church too. (laughs) Now this verse where Paul says, Honor your father and mother is a quote from the Ten Commandments, which are in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Paul then says that this is the first commandment with a promise. And that promise is that if you honor your parents, it will result in a good long life. This is kind of a strange statement because this commandment is not the first in the series of 10 commandments, but I don't think Paul meant it that way. Now the Greek word translated first could mean chief or foremost, but most English translations use first commandment. And if you look carefully at the 10 commandments, you can see that there's a natural division between the first half and the second half. The first half of the commandments all have to do with our relationship with God. Do not make false idols. Do not worship other gods. Do not use his name in vain, and so on. The second half of the commandments are about how we relate to other humans. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. And so this is the first in a series of commandments in that half. But I'm not sure Paul meant that either when he said this is the first commandment. As children, we are not naturally obedient we naturally seek to have our own needs met, whatever the cost to others. Am I right? And if you think I'm wrong, go hang out in a two-year-old Sunday school class and then volunteer to take all those kids home for a play date for six hours. And tell me after that, if you think they're naturally obedient. (laughs) The first thing we have to teach children is to obey because obedience to parents will often save their lives and indeed prolong them as scripture says. For instance, Don't stick that fork in the light socket. Don't eat that. Don't get in that dog's face. Here, eat this nutritious food. Drink more water. Go to bed. You need your rest. Buckle your (laughs) seatbelt. The list can go on and on. And it contains both positive and negative commands that are to help protect and preserve. So among the first things in life we learn to do is to obey. And if we have kind, loving parents who want the very best for us, then obedience will indeed help preserve and extend our lives. So Paul says this to kids and then turns to the fathers. He had the same pattern in the earlier verses. He started with the wives, the partner in the marriage relationship who is viewed in this culture as the less than dominant partner. And giving instructions to the wives, he then turned to the husbands. And remember, he told the wives to submit, but he told the husbands to love their wives more than themselves. Now he turns to fathers and says, do not aggravate your kids. Now the word in the translation I read was, do not provoke your children. But it can mean to arouse wrath, to exasperate, to aggravate. Because in this culture, anything the father said went. And unfortunately, I imagine there were fathers who abused this cultural norm. And there were probably a lot of pre-aggravated angry kids who had no such mechanisms as child protective services or any help from situations at home where dad was a real life jerk. Instead of aggravating them, Paul says, raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Paul says to fathers, do not do this. Do not abuse your power. Instead, raise them up. And discipline here does not mean timeouts or spankings or grounding. The word here is pedia which means a comprehensive training of children that cultivates their minds and morals and care of their physical body. So imagine a parent-child relationship where kids did what they were told and parents, or in this culture, namely fathers, were focused on instructing and building up their kids to be highly functional in their intellect, emotions, and physical bodies. I think that sounds great. Just like when we talked about how a functioning marriage of love, cooperation, and respect sounds like a great idea. These instructions for families are rooted in the belief that treating each other in the same way God treats us would remove the abuse of power in these relationships. So keep that in mind as we look now to the third relationship Paul addresses, masters and slaves. Again, he's going to start with the slaves, but then address the masters. I'm starting from verse five. Paul says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not like those who do their work only when someone is watching as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Obey with enthusiasm as though serving the Lord and not people, because you know that each person, whether slave or free, if he does something good, will be rewarded by the Lord. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way, giving up the use of threats, because you know that both you and they have the same master in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Again, we have to consider the cultural lens of the original audience compared to our cultural lens. The slaves in the Ephesians church did not have the same type of experience as what you may have read about if you grew up learning American history. However, Slavery is still one person having authority over another. And anytime you have a relationship where one party has power over the other, you have the possibility of abuse. In this chapter, Paul has addressed three relationships where this could happen husband and wife, fathers and children, and masters and slaves. All three of these relationships were common in this culture. Only two of them are common in our culture. The marriage relationship and the parent-child relationship are things we can identify with and think about what applies to our current lives, but the master-slave relationship is not. The best parallel might be that of a boss and an employee, but the original recipients were truly slave masters and slaves. So let's take a look at what Paul specifically says and talk about how these relationships have common themes. The first party addressed is the slaves. And Paul says to serve with fear and trembling and sincerity as if they were serving Christ. Now, this is an attitude that can be hard to emulate if you're in a relationship where the one with power is misusing it. And let me just say clearly, as I said it before in the last episode, I absolutely do not think this applies to staying in an abusive relationship. Nowhere does God permit one human to abuse another and instruct the abused to stay and endure in that relationship. If you are experiencing abuse in a relationship, God does not want you to stay and endure that. However, the reality of this culture is that some slaves were likely mistreated. And if they were believers hearing this letter, Paul is calling them to a higher standard of response and behavior. But in the next few sentences, he's also going to very explicitly instruct the masters to treat the slaves well. So there's no argument here for any theology that says if you're in an abusive relationship of any kind, you should stay and endure. And if you're ever in a place where you're being told by a human to do something that is against what God has said, always obey God over the human. Peter had this issue and says very clearly in Acts 5.29, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. So when in a position to have to choose between obeying a person and obeying God, always go with obeying God. Now let's return to the text. Paul goes on with a few more instructions to those in the role of a slave before he addresses the master. So let's look at those. He says, Don't just be like this when people are watching. Have this attitude even when no one is watching. I had a high school history teacher that I respected greatly. I learned so much from him about world history in ninth grade, and then I took American history in 11th grade with him. But he also taught us a lot about life and work ethic. One of his favorite sayings that he said time and time again was, character is how you behave when no one is looking. And that resonated so deeply with me because I wanted to be the same person I was in public as I was in private. That is the sentiment here. Paul says, serve well and do it whether you're being watched or not. If we lifted off the context of slavery here, this principle would apply to being a Christ follower, wouldn't it? Serve well, no matter if people are watching or not. And then Paul rounds out his instructions to slaves with this. Obey with enthusiasm as if you were serving the Lord, for the Lord rewards. And then he says this very simply to the other party, the slave master. Treat your slaves in the same way. So everything he just said to slaves to essentially fulfill their role as if serving Christ, he said to the slave master, do the same thing. Fulfill that role as if serving Christ. He specifically says to them not to threaten their slaves. This is like the warning to fathers not to exasperate their children. And then he says a very, very key statement to all of this. Let's look again at verse nine. Masters, treat your slaves the same way, giving up the use of threats, because you know that both you and they have the same master in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. At the end of the day, the role of master and slave means nothing in our relationship to God. We are all equal before him. And I think that is a really key point to all of this. The husband and wife relationship is a human one. The parent-child relationship, again, human to human. And this idea of masters and slaves, which thankfully we no longer have as a normal part of our experience, it's a human one. None of them matter. In our relationship to God. In fact, in another letter written to several churches in the area of Galatia, Paul wrote these words, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. So in these verses, we find here at the end of chapter five and the beginning of chapter six, these provide order to instruct relationships we have with other humans. Paul was trying to help husbands and wives, fathers and children, slaves and masters within the context of their culture, live out their relationships in ways that honored each other. Not all of these relationships apply to our cultural experience and not all the cultural context exists for us either. But I think what Paul really wants to impress upon this church is that they are to live differently than their culture. They are to love each other and treat each other well, regardless of roles and regardless of what was acceptable according to their society. Remember, he has instructed them a few times on how to walk in the way or conduct their lives. He's been giving specific things to do and not to do under this section of live wisely. Back in chapter 5 verse 15 he says, therefore consider carefully how you live not as unwise but as wise. Following the statement he gives instructions on not getting drunk on wine and then expounds on these three sets of relationship principles. Three relationships where power can be abused and at the end of that He reminds them that before God, they have no power over each other. Before God, we are all equal. There is no favoritism with God. So, let's reflect on our human relationships. Are we living wisely? Are we the same in public as we are in private? Do we fulfill our relationship roles with an attitude that honors the other person And do we recognize that God does not favor us over another or vice versa? There are probably a hundred devotionals or sermons that could be written on applying these concepts to our modern life. But let's boil it down to this today. Let's live wisely in all our relationships, treating others how Christ has treated us, with love, with dignity, and with honor. Now, they may not reciprocate, and that's okay. Okay. Jesus is enough. He's more than enough, and his love for you and for me can cover any human relationships that are out of balance. Make him your number one relationship. Fill yourself up with his spirit, living wisely as a dearly loved child of God. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the Bible for the Ordinary Life. My name is Alicia Parker. I hope you learned something and our time together encouraged your personal relationship with God. Be sure to check out my companion website at www.biblefortheordinarylife.com or connect with me on Instagram at Bible for the Ordinary Life.